and welcome to another edition of Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information, insight, and experiences for people who are planning for, about to, or already have retired. I'm John McComb, recently retired after a 50-year broadcast career, the past 36 years at CKNW Radio in Vancouver. I'm sitting down with my co-host, Lori Pinkowski every other Friday to help answer the many questions that come up as you prepare to relax and devote some time to you and your new life. Lori is the founder of Pinkowski Wealth Management and is a senior vice president and senior portfolio manager at Canaccord Genuity. Now, imagine this. You're walking down the beach. The sun is shining, the water is glistening, and the palm trees are swaying. But this isn't the sandy beach in Mexico or Hawaii that you've been dreaming of for the last year plus. This is Vancouver's own English Bay. Yes, it's true. Today, we are joined by the man responsible for bringing a bit of tropical paradise into Canada's cities, including Vancouver, and that is Lori's father, Mr. Rudy Pinkowski. Now, let me give you an idea of Rudy's background, because He has been involved in gardening and especially has had a love affair with palm trees for a long time now. His passion in gardening started back in the early 80s when he planted his first palm tree, and he's been at it ever since. Now in his late 70s, he continues to change the landscape of Vancouver. Believe it or not, he spearheaded the palm tree project at English Bay, and he'll tell us about that, and a new one now at Dunderave Beach. He's a well-known garden expert and has been featured in numerous magazines, newspapers. He's been on TV, the North Shore News, the Vancouver Sun. He was the winner of the North Shore Garden Contest and even sat as a judge uh, for numerous years on uh, that contest. And he's been uh, speaking at garden clubs and at events for 30 years, providing great insight into creating the ultimate Mediterranean garden. And Lori, it must have been kind of a different experience growing up with a father who was such an avid and passionate gardener. Oh, it was um, a fantastic experience, you know, growing up there in the uh, top of North Vancouver there in Lynn Valley, you know, above the snow line and knowing that when summer hit, I was going to be in the backyard underneath the palm trees, the banana trees, you know, listening to the waterfalls. You know, I'd be going to school in the day and coming back and doing my my homework under the swaying palms, if you can imagine. So I can't complain about my childhood at all. And just even my dad's story, you know, escaping from East Germany, coming to Canada with nothing. He ended up owning multiple hair salons, but it was gardening that was his hobby, that was his passion that he still does to this day. And, you know, there was an article out in, uh, we were looking, 2009, talking about how Rudy Pinkowski changed the landscape of Vancouver. And, you know, it's quite an amazing article. And, and there's many of them going back years and years. And so I thought, you know, featuring my dad during this time, you know, a lot of clients have uh, taken it upon themselves to be gardening more and more, especially during the pandemic, creating beauty, reducing stress levels, and who else to ask it for some advice on on how best to garden, talking about Mediterranean-type gardens and palm trees. Well, my dad was number one on that list for sure, and he has the credentials to back it. So I'm excited to, to speak to him today, uh, as well as I'm sure you are. And uh, so we'll get started. Rudy, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for your time. 
Well, thank you, John, for uh, for having me. Well, gardening as a, as a hobby started when I bought my first house, and that was in Edmonton. Uh, our honeymoon took us to Vancouver, and I fell in love with Vancouver. And uh, so I thought the potential is so much greater here. And this hobby turned actually into a passion at one point when we realized, yes, we can have a Mediterranean-style garden. And I always thought a garden should be a, the extension of your house. We got 3,000 square feet. We got another probably 3,000 square feet outside, and people often didn't use it even, especially when grass was the big thing to have in your garden. I remember my first house in East Vancouver. The people talked about this second last house of the block. He had the most beautiful lawn. That was the big talk. And I saw him in the garden on Monday when he was cutting the grass. Next time I saw him in the garden was next Monday he was cutting the grass. So I thought a house should be an outdoor living place. Make it your extension. or You paid for it. So I have always encouraged people have your garden, have a large patio, have a cooking facility there, maybe a, fe- a water feature there. But the garden should be used for entertainment. We always have our birthdays and uh, celebrations. Luckily, most of our birthdays are all in the summertime. But uh, I also arrange the windows from our new, the house we live in now, extra windows, so I can see a lot of the garden. And I encourage people to also design your garden from the inside out. The fact is that a good portion of the year, you look at your garden from the inside out. So have some features, right, where you can see it. And uh, But to deal with the public, in my case, it was so new. We started the Palm Society roughly in the mid-'80s, 1980s. So uh, people didn't know anything about that. Uh, with me, people I was going to talk about gardening sort of uh, said, I'm with the Palm Society. The first thing, they would stretch out their arm and lift and show me their palm of their hand. They thought I was a palm reader. I had to to explain to them, no, no, I'm talking about gardening. And and some people didn't know what to do. But when I said, you know, grow palms or have a Mediterranean-style garden, which is an outdoor living garden and so on, and some didn't know really what I was talking about. Uh, they couldn't figure out if I was on the cutting edge of horticulture or just be a lunatic gardener. <laughs> so, but anyway, the past you know, 30 years have shown that it really caught on. And uh, we have in public places, we have office buildings downtown growing palm trees. Uh, well, number one is they don't take a lot of space. You can grow them downtown. The commercial buildings don't have a lot of space for gardening. They can't grow trees that grow 150 feet high and 60 feet wide. They have to be uh, just fitting in. Into into the places like in Italy, when you look at the city from a distance, all you see is white building. You don't see a lot of greenery. Once you get into these little towns and cities, they are full of green plants, but they're small. They they fit into tiny little corners, and all that is very beautiful. So anyway, that was the beginning of opening up another avenue in gardening in, in Vancouver, and, and well, not only Vancouver, also the island and Gulf Island. Why specifically palm trees? What was it about palm trees that so enchanted you? You know, for our honeymoon, I saw my, we went down to California. I was 22 years old, and the first time I saw a palm tree. I was so amazed. I was so relaxed. And it's just some magic to palms. So after that, when we had children, we went to Hawaii every year for three weeks. I got off the plane, and that was it. I saw the palms. I just was at peace and just wanted to enjoy the three weeks. And it stuck with me. And a lot of people have that feeling. They're architectural plants. And it's not only palms. We have the whole sort of different plants that are grown in the Mediterranean region. They're almost all architectural plants, whether 
trunk means a lot. The bark, the, the horizontal branching often sort of emphasizes that. Very large leaves, interesting foliage. A lot of our deciduous, they keep the leaves year-round. So make your garden like a 12-month garden. And you can always see it from the inside out when you have a beautiful rhododendron or a magnolia tree. They're there all the time in green. So that's what I encourage. So during the pandemic, as I was saying, you know, lots of clients are spending more time gardening and creating beauty. For a type of garden that you're talking about, I mean, I, I saw you working in there day and night, walking around, killing the snails so they don't affect your garden there. You know, who's the guy lurking in the bushes at 11 p.m.? <laughs> it was my dad attending uh, to his garden. So I'm just wondering, how much time do you think uh, retirees need to put into a garden like this? And, and even if you're a new gardener, if you're talking to beginners out there, how do you think gardening benefits you? Well, absolutely. I would say physically for sure. My garden is a slope. And my son's garden, which I have installed and, and maintained as well, is also a deep slope. I never counted the stairs. There must be like 60 stairs down to the bottom of my garden is the same thing. Uh, down in terraces and all that. But I'm not upset with that because once you retire, you need to exercise. So I'm all happy with that. And I use a lot of rocks to cope with the slopes to stabilize the soil and all that. So you create a real interesting garden, actually, that way, instead of having a flat surface. Uh, so I can cope with that. Uh, luckily, physically, I have no problem with knees and hips and all that kind of stuff, which is often a problem that limits you. But I don't have that situation. So that's great. You're able to maintain the garden as you have been for a long time. And so, again, for the retirees out there, when you have the time, or even if you're working, you know, after work, dad, you were working the whole time and you would come home and still tend to the garden. So I, I think it doesn't have to be a passion for everybody, but having that as a hobby, I think, is a very positive and uplifting experience for people, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a lot of employees and so in several stores, but I always made sure I had good managers. So I can take time out and follow my, my hobby. Or I, in my case, I would probably admit to that it was more like a passion than just a hobby. And it's probably the most diverse hobby anybody can have. There are so many ways you can go in gardening. You name a plant and there's the club for it. Uh, there's a rose society, a rhododendron society, a hosta society, lily society, and on and on it goes. And there's also a palm society, you know, Pacific Northwest Palm and Exotic Plant Society. Why do you feel a Mediterranean garden is a good choice? Because I think a lot of people naturally assume that we don't have the climate for palms and and other kind of tropical plants, but apparently that is not the case. A lot of these plants do take some frost. Their palms we grew first in Vancouver, and they're probably most widely used. They were the first ones brought in. Actually, are native to southwestern China. And their climate, they're in fact, the January temperature, the average for January, is half a degree colder than Vancouver's. And that's where they're native to. There are about 2,000 species of palm trees. So they're not all tropical. And a lot of them are grown in temperate climate. Some are in desert. Some grow in swamps. There are so many palms. Nobody can grow all the species of palms. But uh, my son lives in a better... I live at a 900-foot elevation. We get a little bit colder temperatures and so on. I'm a bit more limited. I've got three species of palms in my garden, in the ground, over, you know, somewhere over 20 feet tall. Now, my son lives closer to the ocean, a little milder. Uh, I have six species of palms in his garden. So that's how that works, basically. Yeah, that uh, You know, you got to go by region, obviously, but, but we can do it. 
when winter comes in Canada here, and in Vancouver, we usually get one, maybe two snowfalls. You might get more at your elevation. Maybe you can share with listeners how you dealt with the palm trees when they were smaller, when they're 20 feet tall, they've got big sturdy trunks now. They've got some fur on them to protect them. But from what I understand, what I remember is that the palm trees that you're usually using in the garden, uh, Trachycarpus fortunae, as I remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You, you were listening. Uh, very good. Yes. Oh, no, I pulled that one out. Huh? Uh, Surprise. <laughs> Holy yes. cow. Yeah. So I, I'm not just a portfolio manager, financial advisor. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I am the daughter mm. of a gardener. Yes. <laughs> I'm. I'm proud of you. Thank Very you. proud of you. Thank you. And so, so that palm can survive up until minus ten. But oh I no, no, they can uh, officially uh, survive minus fifteen, probably even a little colder. They may have some leaf damage, but we haven't had that for a very long time. And leaf damage corrects itself within within one season. So, so those are for the bigger ones. But for when you first plant a palm and they're smaller, did you ever have to cover them? Or you know, I think there was putting blankets sometimes on them. But generally speaking, when they grow up, they're they're fine. But what about the banana trees as well? Well, the banana trees trees down to the ground and they suck her back out and they grow very quickly. And they got like six, seven foot long leaves, so they're quite interesting in the garden. I do wrap the trunk, cut all the leaves off, they die a little frosted. So it's just a simple trunk to wrap up. At my son's place, he lives by the ocean. I don't do anything to the banana trees. They're, just the leaves die off and they grow back so quickly in spring again. And they're a really nice advantage with that lush foliage to have. And some of the younger ones may freeze back to the ground, but they suck her back out. It's a suckering plant, so it always comes back. The existing ones will stay alive for probably four years until they flower. They're bananas, but they're small bananas and uh, not really considered edible because seeds are in the bananas are a little larger than those we eat, but they're grown for the architectural value in the garden. Yeah, they're amazing. I mean, the amount they grow in one season. And I also just remember it's minimal care. It wasn't uh, that time intensive, as I recall. But I do remember when the snow did fall, that you'd be out there with a broom making sure the snow didn't break the leaves of the palms, I think, or of your even of the Mediterranean garden. You just want to make sure that uh, the foliage is staying intact, right? I don't do this anymore. I advise all the people that are growing palms don't bother with that. Because when they, I used to use my pool net to hit the fronds to knock off the snow and when you hit anything that's frozen it's brittle it will break very few came back up again i have never bought it for years now and i always say that 90 percent come right back up again so in those that don't you cut a few off they would die later in spring anyway they get a new set of leaves every year and the old ones the very old ones like a three years old or four years old they, they probably will hang down anyway so palms are work only once a year and in spring, you cut back all the older leaves that are, you know, starting to brown a little bit or this and that. So, but that's all the work you have to do with palms. Well, that's great. It sounds sounds like, uh, you know, it's always a learning process and you grow with it and you come up with new new ways to do things. And your garden, it just looks fantastic. You know, when we get into spring and, and summer, it's just uh, such an amazing place to be. Tell us why it's important, in your opinion, to create an outdoor space that you and your family can really enjoy. Well, nothing is nicer than a nice birthday party outdoors. And the whole garden, I don't have a lawn area because I have a slope anyway. I couldn't have a lawn. 
but everything is designed in garden rockeries and small garden places here and there. And palms, for example, don't have any branches coming out sideways or so. There's always a lot of space for benches and tables, and uh, and then people can enjoy and kick back. And at the same time, it is that relaxing environment of Mediterranean landscape. I promote this all the time. People get into certain plants and they really enjoy them. They even belong to a certain club and all that. So nothing is wrong with this. Uh, it's the most diverse hobby uh, on earth uh, is gardening. And it's just in my situation and friends of mine, and members of the Palm Society Club now, we are into this particular thing. But all our gardens, all our members have outdoor living gardens. They, they are designed to be out in your garden as much as you can, as long as the weather allows. And I go, even a light misty rain, I'm out there in the evening, walk to my garden and come up with some ideas what I have to do in this corner. Maybe I have to change a little bit there. It's so relaxing. And almost all plants we use are architectural plants. They're nice year-round. Most of them are evergreen. I'm not talking about conifer evergreen, just evergreen trees and so on and bushes. So that is an enjoyable garden for me and many, many other people. When you drive around now through Vancouver, you see a lot of palms around now. That will never change. It will grow. When you think that um, Spain had no palm trees ever, you can drive around through Spain. There are a lot of palm trees. Or the California coastline, Los Angeles. Can you picture that now without palm trees? No, we, we can't. I mean, I have a client that uh, read your article in the North Shore News there about the Dunderave Beach Project, and uh, he went out and bought his first palm tree after he read that. So this is why this advice on palm trees is so important. And so with that, what are some of the fun ways that people can learn about gardening? I know that you've gone on a lot of garden holidays that Steve Weissall from the Vancouver Sun puts on. And maybe you can just touch on what those experiences are like. What are garden holidays and what do you do on them? Well, our style of gardening virtually is, uh, is new. I'm talking about like 35 years. So when you can go to area, areas like we've been to Morocco, we've, we've been to Italy, we've been to Spain with Steve Weissel, and he is so incredible to put these tours together, so well organized. And he's so knowledgeable too. He, he was writing in the Vancouver Sun for years and years and years, full page every week. And in fact, I had a few pages of those given attention to the Mediterranean style gardening and so on, with people roughly a group of 30 but we had one thing in common. We enjoyed gardening. We enjoyed the fascination with gardening and the diversity, but you can grow so many different things. And uh, no, it's something that is important to people. This uh, You find this out through, through the pandemic now. When you're stuck in basically in, the, in a little area for over a year now, if you have a hobby like gardening, you can't complain. This I, I never felt any negativity about the situation right now because I was so busy with my garden, my son's garden. I'm in touch with my buddies from the Palm Society and so on. You mentioned uh, during the pandemic that a lot of people have decided to get into gardening or are spending more time at it. But if somebody is just kind of starting out with our climate and everything, what ideas would you have for a beginning gardener? Well, uh, for a beginning gardener, usually if they buy a house, there's already some type of garden there. And they may like that, continue. But um, people have their own opinions about it. They may just go in a totally different direction, you know. And this is something that will occupy them. They will meet other people that are into this particular free time venture. 
and to get more knowledgeable as lo along the way. Gardening is so big, you can't just learn all this in one year or even two years. You, you learn along the way. And nowadays, it helps, you know, with the computers, we can kind of figure out all kinds of things. And people will get ideas, then they start talking to their neighbors, and they start talking to other people that are into gardening and so on. It is a learning process that goes on for life, because that field is so big and so diverse that uh, you never learn it all in one lifetime. Well, I know my son, uh, born and raised in Maple Ridge, about, oh, 10 years ago or so, for his birthday, he wanted a palm tree. And so we bought him a palm tree, and uh, it's uh, sitting out in front of their house, looks great, it's uh, growing strong. So he's definitely a convert to the Palm Society, I think. I almost would consider it is a medical plant. It does really uh, something to your emotions and to your relaxation and to your feeling at ease and, and comfortable and all that. And uh, it's not only my opinion. I've heard that from many other people. You know, you don't have to actually go up into the mountains or, or go hiking in the forests. I mean, a lot of people do. But it puts you back into nature from your door. And that's such an important thing we're finding out now. But, uh, well, people like you have known it for years and years. But especially around this pandemic thing that a lot of people, you know, relieve their stress just by going out in the garden. Yeah, even with their own garden. That will change. My garden is not the same. It was 46 years ago when we bought this house. You come up with new ideas along the way, and you learn more. You get more familiar with things. So it is a never-ending type of process, uh, uh, gardening. And that, that's why I think uh, as a hobby, and well, if it becomes a passion, then uh, there's nothing wrong with that. So much better. You even enjoy it more. It sounds like the doctor should recommend gardening for everybody. It reduces stress. It helps you exercise. You're creating beauty and art. I mean, when you actually, my dad used to have garden tours coming through his, his garden. There would be, you know, sometimes four or 500 plus attendees coming through. It's really art when you take a walk through my father's garden and, and it's really amazing. And, and I appreciate growing up in that environment, but also learning about it. And, uh, as, as I've said, I mean, there's so many clients that we're dealing with who are, you know, either take up gardening for the first time, buying their first palm tree, or they've been gardening for years and just have had more time over the past, you know, year to to spend in their garden because, you know, we're not able to travel and so on. So it's been a, a great hobby to take hold of and maybe even become passionate about. Uh, everybody gets to enjoy it when things finally open up and we can go and visit each other's gardens, which will hopefully be this summer, right? And so maybe uh, you could give us three tips for planting and maintaining a garden this spring. As we're in April here, what do you usually do to prepare your garden for uh, spring and summer? It, it is almost a year-round thing, less than the winter time. But this is a 12-month garden I have. I have a lot of rhododendrons. When I bought this house 46 years ago, the rhododendron craze started. And uh, so I bought a lot of rhododendrons. And I finally counted them. I have 44 rhododendrons, a lot of them over 20 feet tall now. They're still within my exotic garden. The lower branches die off anyway. If not, I cut them off. I want to see the trunk. I got one species that has a beautiful uh, bark. It's actually shedding the bark along the way always. Very, very beautiful. The branching, I leave all the major branches, mainly the horizontal ones. That gives it more of a subtropical look. And the little twiggy branches, I take them out. I don't want a big bush in the garden. I want them to be look more like a Mediterranean tree, sort of the canopy effect. And uh, even some uh, smaller plants like, like azaleas, like Japanese azaleas, I canopy them. Uh, they have that canopy effect like most Mediterranean plants or subtropical plants. 
have sort of a canopy look to it. They fit in so well with all the rest. And so I have a lot of azaleas. They have a lot of rhododendrons, but they fit so well with the Mediterranean look. And so my dad's almost sculpting these plants, which is different than from what I see out there usually. And so when he's sculpting them and what he's talking about is giving it more of a tree effect, it really looks very interesting in one's garden. Those tips are really good. And I think, you know, as people get into uh, spring cleaning in the garden, they're going to think about that and maybe take uh, the pruning shears out. <laughs> well, that's done to be very carefully. But with an exotic garden, you can make a rhododendron look like an... When they are native right into the tropics, you have rhododendrons native in our type of climate, and you find them in the tropics. I have also a lot of ferns because my son's garden is more Mediterranean because he's in a drier area. I'm in a damp area at 900 foot elevation in North Vancouver. You get a bit more rain. So I have more of a lush garden, large leaf plants. So that's so a little difference between two gardens that both I maintain, but they're still a little different in character. Well, Rudy, listen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for all of your insight and your knowledge on this. It's been a great pleasure. Now, before we go, we always like to end on a quote. Do you have something for us today? Yeah, I had my cousin Elsie here from Ontario, and the first thing she said, I want to see your palm trees. I said, Elsie, they're not my palm trees. They're everybody's palm trees. I was just the one that initiated that. So I took her down there. We walked down English Bay, and there was a beautiful uh, sunny summer day, and the palms were swaying softly over our heads. And she says, wow, she says, I feel like I'm in paradise. I said, Elsie, the good thing about living in Vancouver is we don't have to die to be in paradise. We live in paradise. And I said, by the way, if you ever want to call the Lord, make the call from Vancouver. It's a local call. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. I like to rub it in. I like to rub it in a little bit to the outsiders. (laughs) Of course. And again, we want to thank you so much for your contribution to the landscape of Vancouver. And we love looking at these palm trees. I know how many times clients have said to me, you know, I can't believe your dad was one of the ones who initiated that at English Bay. And it's just, it's so amazing. People appreciate it. You know, I'm often walking around there. I see people take pictures with the palm trees again just in awe that these exist here and now that we have it even on the north shore at dunderave beach uh that's fantastic so thank you for your contribution thank you for the work that you do and thank you for being my dad because you're awesome well thank you for having me thank you john thank you laurie um for your support so i appreciate it very much thank you the pleasure has been all ours i can assure you Laurie, that's uh, about it for today. Let's uh, wrap this up and uh, I'll see you uh, again and speak with you, of course, uh, in a couple of weeks. Sounds great, John. It was a pleasure and talk to you all soon. Thanks, Laurie. If you want more information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Laurie and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management. 604-695-LORI. 604-695-5674. For Laurie Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Retire. <laughs>